Hello and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. Today, I'm speaking with the highly sought-after makeup designer, Donald Moat. We chat about some of the incredible films he has designed, the important lessons we learn through our experiences coming up in the industry, how he is a mentor to many, and the importance of passing on your knowledge to those who follow. Picture's up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks Podcast, Donald. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. It's great. Now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Donald, and when he grew up, he wanted to be... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is tricky. This is... um... (laughs) Well, he did know exactly what he wanted to be, which was to do makeup and costume and hair and all that stuff, but really makeup. Oh, very cool. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you kind of see that and think, I want to do that? What is that? I want to get involved with that. Well, I love the question because I work a lot with younger people, uh, mentoring and teaching. And the thing is, we don't often ask people what they'd like to do. You know, when you're really little children, people say, what would you like to be when you grow up? Yeah. But that's quite a valid thing. But you really should be asking a 16-year-old. So I knew very early, uh, I was 12 going to lots of films that I probably shouldn't have been seeing, uh, (laughs) but great films like Barry Lyndon. And I was obsessed with the way they looked and the, the costume, particularly the costume, I think at the time, because I didn't know how would I, I mean, that people did makeup and got paid. And of course, what was wonderful for a young boy is that all the people doing makeup were men at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, so it's very important to see uh, a similarity. So I started seeing these names like George Frost and, you know, different people. Of course, that was Anne Brody's film. So, uh, you know, I do stand corrected, but it was Anne Brody's work in that. But that film stayed with me and I was, you know, maybe in sixth grade. So I was fascinated and I started looking at credits. So I knew who the people were. Isn't that funny? And as I was in, you know, performing arts school, I just ended up being that funny, eccentric, odd little kid that was never going to be an actor or anything of that nature. But Mm -hmm. people started giving me the costumes to do and the makeup and bits of the hair. But it was really more a makeup-y costume thing, wasn't it? And so I'd be, you know, playing with things. And then I went and found Richard Corson's book, and as most of us do, and stage makeup. And then one thing led to another. So I I really started when I was probably 14, 15. Wow. That's amazing. It's so nice that you were able to kind of put those dots together, like join the dots of like, I like how this looks. How is it? Who's doing it? Oh, this is amazing. This is a job. I've spoken to people that it's not until they're kind of late teens leaving school that they're just like, hang on a minute. Can I was interested in that when I was 12. Is that something I can actually do for a living? Mm -hmm. So that's fantastic. And then, so you leave, you go through high school, and then what happens? Do you go into some training of sorts? Well, it was very tricky because, you see, in my generation, they're really, you know, I think to backtrack a little bit, what's very important to stress is that 
you know, there were very few options because it, it's a job that was essentially, in my eyes, or the way people around me perceived it as a very blue-collar mm. uh, environment. And if you're growing up um, in a more middle-class environment, people don't exactly want their sons particularly to do makeup. Do you mm-hmm. see what I mean? Yeah. It also had a lot of connotations that were, I mean, let's be real. I mean, a lot of it was homophobia. A lot of mm-hmm. it was was uh, class consciousness. Um, I mean, people doing hair was was kind of, there was something perceived quite, well, not great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not being funny about it, but it was not something that you aspired to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no problem because I thought, well, look at these people doing this work and I got through school. I did get into many colleges, but I didn't know what to study because Mm. there was no makeup to be taught at that point. And also, I I really do want to say what's very important for young people to know is that very few people offered any advice. I mean, guidance Mm. counselors, and you know this, I mean, guidance counselors don't know what the hell to tell you. My mom and dad certainly didn't know what to tell me. So it was just apply, do art history, um, go here, go there. But they were all highly academic courses. There was nothing practical Mm. until I actually, and I think that's where hairdressing is maybe a bit better to start with for some people because it is a a trade and a craft that's practiced all over the world on every street corner, right? Yeah, yeah. And that you can have a a real job. The makeup is so peculiar to film and television and, and I think that no one knew what to tell me. So to be honest, you know, things happen. Maybe it's fortuitous or serendipity. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But I did take one course at college that was intro to television production 101 and something like that. And a wonderful man teaching it who knew that I was interested in this. And he said, well, why don't you we need to get everybody fixed up properly and the makeups are awful and we have to do portraits and photography and television. Can you organize all the makeup? And that's what I did. And it got me a bit of a reputation to say, call that Moet kid and get him to do the makeup. And that's that's really how I, it was remarkable because those teachers are better than any three or four year course you're going to take. Yeah. Right. And we've all had something similar. He just died. Apparently, I'm sorry I never stayed in touch with him because he really was helpful. And I I met a wonderful woman that worked. um, She was a British lady from London called Mm. Beryl. um, And she, I guess, had been a kind of an actress or trained as an actress at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And I met her doing, you know, those operatas, Mikado and Gilbert and Sullivan things. Mm hmm. And I met this Beryl, who was quite a character in retrospect, and she showed me lots of tricks she'd learned. So it was really kind of wonderful to meet people who were all oddballs and, you know, teaching funny little courses and stage makeup and things. Yeah. And just finding finding that place, like where those people mm-hmm. are and what they're doing and That's right. being part of it. That's right. And I think it's, I think also if you're slightly disenfranchised, which many of us are, I mean, young people feel disenfranchised a lot of the time and that still happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it it's a, a kind of a family you find who are, you know, I met this wonderful costume designer at the CBC called Peter DeCastel. He would help me out. They would recommend me to people and then you start to get paid a little bit. And And so it was really kind of wonderful to meet so many creative people that by today's standards, might be considered a little bit on the amateur side, but so was I. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, you need to you need to learn from somewhere and someone. That's right. And That's right. if they're a bit ahead of you, then amazing. 
That's right. So were you studying at the same time as getting into doing more of that, uh, like in your evenings and weekends and stuff like that? Yeah. You know, I did. Like all of us, I mean, my mom and dad were a bit, I don't want to say not supportive because they're really nice people. And I think they just didn't quite get it. Yeah, it's new to them. Well, it's new to them, of course, but also, Mm. you know, you want your kids to do okay and make money. And I think as soon as I started making money, my mom was fully on board. I think she thought this is good. Yeah. And then I started getting a few credits. And of course, you earn it, don't you? Once we start to do things and I met wonderful hair people and costume people and other makeup And an actress friend of mine called Leslie Hope, who became quite a a kind of a deal, Mm -hmm. um, we both worked in a cafe. So we all had little funny jobs, waiting tables. I started getting work. They had a jazz kind of thing going. It was quite a cool place. And there were often a lot of women solo as jazz singers, and people started calling me to do the makeup. Oh, nice. So I would be waiting tables. I'd get an extra 50 bucks to do the makeup. It was fun. I mean, I, I was, I don't know. 18, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. So it really was the launch and it was a fantastic time, actually. I loved it. And that's nice to be doing, like that would have been just straight beauty makeup, right? Instead of actual, actually thinking of it as stage makeup? It was, yeah, it was really, I guess, a combination. It was still the, it's such a great question, Jamie, because people never really, they never know like what what's the look and And I think Mm -hmm. in the 80s, so we're going back to, I finished high school in 1981. By the time I went to live in London, I managed to get a job at Harrods doing, you know, when people did makeup, proper beauty consultations. And so I learned how to do what people call straight makeup. I've never liked the term. And I don't Mm. like the term beauty makeup because Mm. it's kind of a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Um, (laughs) I just learned how to do lots of faces, old ladies, young ladies, middle age skinny, fat, of all ethnicities, all races. So we had black, white, Asian, South Asian. And it was great timing and practice because I learned to work very, very quickly, which is what the film business is about, which many mm-hmm. people have still not learned. And, yeah. and of course, it made me uh, a, a bit of a commodity that I could do the work and be very efficient and quick. And, and so that was my experience working for Dior and yeah, so I, I guess we call it straight beauty makeup, but I like doing the character things when people, yeah, you know, would say, can you age them or, you know, do these things. I just want to go back a little second there that, that working at the counter, I, I think also gives you people skills, doesn't it? Well, it does. It gives you people skills that I think is really, you know, somebody said to me recently, what's like, what makes somebody popular in the makeup and hair trail? And I said, it's energy. It's mm. the energy you give particularly to the actors because people uh, pick up on it. And I think Mm -hmm. your people skills are important because everyone is different. And um, a lot of people work from a place where it's all about them. And and of course you learn quickly that it's not. (laughs) And of course, when you're working with all kinds of people from all over the world, you develop a kind of an understanding of how to speak softly or to be slower in how you speak and, maybe listen. And and so, as you said, people skills become a priority. I think when you start to work in films and television, and you're usually working on the crowd and background, that's where that skill becomes noticeable and Mm -hmm. and you prove yourself. 
Yeah. Just having that professionalism of next person in my chair. Hello, how are you? I'm going to blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Next person exactly. in the chair and just, yeah. I, I think it's the same for hairstylists who come up working in a salon. You I get agree. all the different um, types of people coming through, the conversation, being professional, all of that. I think it's a, it's a good foundation for Absolutely. moving into film and TV. Absolutely. I agree yeah. completely. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. So sorry I interrupted you, but you were going into talking about character makeup and um, mm. old aging. and. Well, I think that then, you know, because I had done some theater and I started to recognize, you know, that there is this straight makeup, quote unquote, uh, mm. character prosthetics, that I started to play with latex and being able to do bits of aging and wounds and, and practice on my sister quite a bit, you know, and, and it was great because it's, it's, there's so much in makeup that there's so many aspects of the the one craft itself and then add in the prosthetics and specialty things. So I was doing a lot of out of kit things and preparing to be able to take my trade test. I went back from London to Montreal to Toronto. And that's really where I kind of got my real break, I guess, after, you know, having worked on a few films. The interesting thing, which I, I like to share with people was somebody mm-hmm. said, well, what was the big the big break. And I said, well, interestingly enough, it wasn't because I knew how to do bits of blood or glue a mustache on. Mm-hmm. It was actually being able to do a clean, no makeup look mm. because what was happening at the time, well, they don't exist anymore, was the ACFC, which was, there was two, three unions actually in Toronto at the time. Okay. It's very busy theater town, very busy television. Um, I mean, after the U.S., I mean, Toronto was a, a kind of a very busy spot at the time. Um, the ACFC were crewing up the original Anne of Green Gables for television for the CBC. Oh, cool. mm-hmm. And I didn't know the book, but they rang me. My name was on the permit list. And I brought these pictures going back to my waiter days at Café La Voute with Leslie Hope, who had just gone off to Hollywood. John Cassavetes brought her to be in... in uh, a beautiful film with Jenna Rollins called Love Streams. And I'd made her up quite a bit at this point. So we had all these test photos. Can you believe done in my mom and dad's basement in oh, Montreal? fantastic. And I had these photographs of her in this big wicker chair, very 80s. Hmm. I, I don't know. We just put her hair up and put some funny beads on. And I made this something that she could wear and did this makeup. And the man at ACFC uh, was the business agent said, this makeup is very natural. It's very nice. I think you should meet Shauna Jabor, who is the makeup uh, department head for Anna Green Gable. She's looking for people, you know. And that's really how I really got sort of, uh, I guess, legitimate mm. by coming on because I did all the little girls on that and, and just lovely, soft, natural makeup. And Shauna liked the work. And that really, I go back to being able to do a very clean, simple makeup that was still period, you know? Yeah. I feel that that is a struggle for some artists to be able to really nail that look. I think the problem, I've thought about this a lot because sometimes I, I miss that I don't, uh, there's certain makeups I'm not comfortable with. I, I would never, I said this some, maybe not that long ago, I was working on a job. I, I went in as a person on something and I was working with people who'd been on those very, you know, superb fantasy films. And I said, don't ever call me because that's not my world. I mean, I love to work based in reality. I like period. I like docudrama. But sometimes I'll see a makeup that we would have done in the theater, uh, say something for uh, Gilbert and Sullivan that 
they did so beautifully in Topsy Turvy with, you know, Chrissy Blundell and Trevor Proud mm. and think, I don't think I can do that anymore. And that's, it's not to say I can't or I, I, I haven't done it, but you kind of step away. It's a bit like mathematics where, you know, people who can do brilliant advanced maths can't really come back, ask someone, I mean, who's done a maths degree, what's four times four, they can't af- often answer that for you. Wow. Um, and I felt that's what's happened a bit uh, with makeup is suddenly, and I'm sure with hair too, because sometimes you'll say, no, no, just do this. Just like put it, just do that. Just part mm-hmm. it. Just put no lipstick. It's so difficult. And you've seen it. We've both seen it where yeah. a director will say, what, like, why do they have to have a base on? Why, you know, and I think it's very difficult between the actor, between the makeup, the hair, the costume, the studio, everyone saying what they think. But in fact, if you're left to your own devices, sometimes you don't put any makeup on someone. You shouldn't touch their hair. Yeah. You want it to look like a Mike Lee film. And mm. that's maybe the problem. And it's, in my experience, has been very unpopular for the old timers. I guess I'm an old timer now to say that to people. But, you know, when you see a beautiful makeup for the Mikado or Pirates of Penzance, of course, it's highly exaggerated and highly stylized. Mm -hmm. But you also have to be able to make somebody look like they just walked out of the flat. And and that is way more difficult than people know. And I'm really glad I learned. I owe a lot to Leslie Hope because, one, she had a beautiful face. Mm. Um, But I was able to do makeup on her that people could see that this was a real woman, this was attractive without being showy or specific to a look or a socioeconomic status. And I'm really happy I learned that because then I switched a bit into prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different ballgame of how yeah. people respond. Absolutely. And I think too, I've found over the years that people who specialize in that, they really do have to be extremely passionate about it. I think what's interesting is sometimes, you know, it's like watching some drag things, you know, when you watch, mm. I always go back to things like Priscilla, how brilliant it was. Of course, I mean, it's it's a look that is, is there's a certain way to do it and certain people who know how to do it. Yeah. And I've often just, I tend to find that I gravitate towards people who do what they do really well. And mm. I would never take it on. I've tried to do the soaped eyebrows on people. I mean, you need to bring a drag person in because it's something that becomes second skin. It's like people who do bald caps all the time. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I give myself credit and other people working with me that I'll, I mean, I can do a beat up face very quickly. It's just I'm used to it. But mm-hmm. other people struggle. And it's not because they're not good. Of course, they're good. But they're not used to it yet. Yeah. It, I'm so familiar with it. But then if you gave me, let me think. Uh, I mean, one time I was asked to do like a paint on mustache, like a little, like a Charlie Chaplin thing. And I was absolutely devastated, terrified, mm. because I thought, I can't bloody do that. Yeah. Do you see? People who face paint for children, I forget calling me for that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we that's why we're all different. And I love having a team that I can, you know, build on that with. Yeah. I was going to ask, actually, what do you look for in a team? So I'm assuming that's definitely part of it. You know, I've learned, I mean, I've gone through a lot these past few years. I feel like I'm at a a turning point, maybe, where the business has changed so much. Uh, I think I've seen so many things change. And I don't necessarily think 
always good things. Sometimes it's not great. And I, I hate to, um, I, I tend to get a bit Pollyanna and say everything's great. I would say in the teams what's happening. I mean, I, I feel like, and I'm so happy to be on and, and you do this so well in asking the questions. I think it's really important to be able to say to newer people coming into it that, you know, um, there's a lot of ways to work. I just think mm-hmm. when I'm finding a team, the problem I'm encountering is a level of transparency where, you know, right now everything's about what the team want, what's good for them, how they have to be treated. We've gone to this extreme. When I started, it was all about the HOD, right? Mm-hmm. It was all HOD, HOD, HOD. And yes, sometimes it was wrong because it was like being at the head of the table. It was like father or mother, right? At the head of the table. But you know what? It's gone to the exact opposite now. And I think we're suffering because many of the HODs and designers are starting to say, wait a second, what happened here? So people are not reprimanded the way they used to be. And I feel like in a way, I do sound like my dad, but I do find in a way we're, we're People are softer and not in a necessarily positive way. I think that, you know, we used to get shouted at on set. We used to get scolded quite publicly, which mm-hmm. I know to, by today's standards. And I work with a lot of young people, so I'm, I'm extremely aware of, of that. But at the same time, you know that thing of you've got to split the difference. Yeah. And I think now everybody is entitled. And when I find a team, I, I usually, so there's two ways I look at it. Some films are really straightforward mm-hmm. or you think they are, but they're not actually, because I'm sure you know this, the things that read on paper as very big makeup hair or makeup or whatever are often not. And the things that are very simple become very difficult. Mm -hmm. So I've learned that over my career and I kind of have always hung on to it. So for instance, I don't know, a cut on the nose or, you know, everyone, oh, that's so easy. Well, it's not actually because it's in the center of the face and it plays every day. Yeah. So when I read a script, I'll often ring somebody up who's a colleague and say, look, would you be interested? Generally, it's not my solid rule, but I have two ways. If it's a film, I think is highly manageable. Mm. I often like to work with a newer, younger second. Yeah. I hate using the term key because I don't agree with it. My second assistant department head is often somebody younger who I think needs a break, mm-hmm. who needs a, a who needs a little bit of help, right? Yeah. And I'm awesome. there and I can oversee that and supervise it. And and I feel that it's the right thing to do because people did it for me. Mm-hmm. And then there are other films that I think are a bit more complicated and have potential for a lot of trouble, or I shouldn't say trouble, maybe some uh, challenges. challenges. Yeah. And, and of course, that's when I want somebody who's a stronger key, um, not always an HOD, because I think it defeats the purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, particularly here in Los Angeles, disagree on my policy on that. I rarely hire an HOD to be my key or second. For no other reason than I'm afraid they're going to jump ship and go to another film, which is right. often what happens. Mm. And I mean, if we're talking freely, I think there's a dishonesty in it. Yeah. Um, and so you know what I mean. And it feels like, okay, well, you want to be an HOD, then go be an HOD. Yeah. But I love to be able to get someone started in this business. And I've had some wonderful people in recent years who, you know, maybe were a bit new and maybe I had to pay a price a little bit, but I really enjoyed the energy. I love the trailer. I love the way it worked. And then I've had similar situations where I've called on colleagues that I've known for a long time who 
I'll need their help because the job is too big. Yeah. And there's that. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But for the most part, I think you know your instinct is this movie I can do with two people. This one I can do with three. Mm -hmm. I need a, a, a top prosthetics person. I need a great body painter or, you know, so every yeah. job is different. And I like a team that I can really talk to that there's transparency. I love to be able to say to people, listen, you know, this is never about a personality. It's about the work. Yeah. And again, having said that, I also think a lot of people say, yes, 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 yes. Mm. It's a bit like that story of Sophia Loren telling, was it Charlie Chaplin that she could swim because she's got to jump in the Bay of Hong Kong or something Right. on that film and nearly died. Mm. And so if I said to someone, you know, and I'm always looking for people, you know, but I love it when people say to me, listen, I don't know how to do that, but I want to learn and I'm going to learn. And I've seen a lot of up and coming people who I'm desperate to work with. I think sometimes they're scared of me or they don't think I would want to work with them. And that's not true. It's mm -hmm. just, I need someone to tell me and I need the communication from a team member. Yeah. So that's been difficult for me because I tend to be a talker. I, I'm willing to speak to people. I'm I'm communicative, but I feel that someone will say, "Yes, I want to be on that film," but they really don't. And right. and you know what I mean. So yeah. I want a team that everything stays in the trailer, like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very private person. I'm discreet. Actors like to work with me because they know that about me. I want a team that I feel I can trust and that respect that kind of sacred place. So that's what I look for. And it's often worked out really well, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a 100% foolproof, is it? <laughs> Not when you're dealing with people. <laughs> it never is. I do know that whenever you start somebody in the business or give someone a big break, it doesn't usually last because, of course, I want people who are good. I want people who are as good as me, in fact, better than me. And mm. and I love it. I'm not threatened by it. You know, it, it takes a lot in your life to say, there's some people who are the opposite, and, and I've never quite understood it. Yeah. I never want somebody who's not good. It just makes yeah. me look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's it's a lot. The pressure is a lot. And, and, you know, I'm looking to work with new people and people who are trying to get to the next level, I feel is very important. And I've tried to make that happen for, for people. That's brilliant. That's so nice to hear. I was going to ask you one piece of advice you've been given while you were coming up that has really stuck with you that you tend to even pass on to others. Well, less is more for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I've always said it. I'm very old school. Everybody says old school now, so I don't like to say it because I felt like I was saying that 15 years ago. But less <laughs> is more. You know what I yeah. mean? Less yeah, is yeah. more. It's really interesting because as I get to be a little bit older, I feel like, you know, you come to a fork, don't you, in the road and you ask yourself a lot of things. It's harder. I, I, I think I tell people, believe me, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. When you're younger, you can, you know, you feel the fear and you thrive on it. And mm -hmm. I think when you're nervous about a job is what makes you so good at it. And, mm. and so when you get that twisty, sick feeling in your tummy and... Mm you're anxious, it's, you know, it, it's good. You should you feel like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the same time, sometimes we're a bit misguided. And I would tell my younger self, the one things I remember is, of course, less is more. When you're mm. doing a makeup is you have to learn to let it go. 
Mm-hmm. You have to understand you're part of a creative overall process. It's not about you. That's very hard to learn. And that comes with great maturity, I believe, particularly in the hair, makeup, costume of people who they don't know how to leave an actor alone. They don't. It, it's not because they're being bad people. It's because they've not been taught. And and so I was taught that very sternly. And I'm so fortunate for that because I tell people that all the time if they care to listen. I never tell an actor what they think they need. Yeah. I always make this collaborative. You never, ever go to a director. One, you don't say no. You offer a solution. You offer a compromise. I always tell people, if you're meeting actors for the first time, don't come in with all your ideas. You have to entertain and start a conversation and establish how this is going to work. And it's not always easy, and it's not always right, but it's the way it is. Ultimately, you have to respect the final decision is your superior, your boss, your designer, and your director, and the cinematographer. So I feel like uh, I learned some great things from some very good people. I'm forever grateful. And also, I guess, because it's such a great question, I do think I remind myself, always remember who helped you, who, even if you don't realize it, try to recognize who did you a good turn, who didn't fire you who gave your name to someone yeah i think it's very important to remember those people as you proceed up the proverbial ladder i think it's really important and it's charming yeah and it, it doesn't happen all the time so it's special no. when, when it does happen it means a lot it means a lot to me when it happens i'm always just like wow yeah Okay, cool. And then if someone says, oh, you know, Rara gave me your name, I'm immediately on the phone to them going, thank you. Yes. Well, (laughs) because that's how it works. And absolutely. I mean, it's how people, you know, a name gets mentioned or, oh, I'd like to try this person or how about that person. And I think it is because a small industry, as we know, worldwide, you know, but it's also there's some old fashioned things that we need to bring back. But I think one of them is certainly to be able to say to people, you know, look, that was great. Thank you for doing that for me. I try to remember people. Sometimes I feel bad that I forgot people over the years. And I try to say their names because, you know, we need a legacy of sorts. And, and you know, as we all get to a point, you sort of go, wait a second, who did that? Who was that? We were just reminiscing, actually. I went back up to Canada and yeah. I wrote to someone, you know, to say to them, who was the hair? was that so-and-so and she died and we reminisced and I posted a picture recently of a wonderful, she was wonderful hairstyle. Well, she called herself a hairdresser. She did not want to be called hairstylist. <laughs> um, I love that. Jennifer O'Halloran. I mean, she was good. I mean, mm. you know, I think it's a shame we don't often stop and go, who's one of the best people I ever worked with? Well, she was. Yeah. She was a tough cookie and I mean, not <laughs> easy. Oh my God. There were times... <laughs> But people must say that about me. But you know what? I think it's it's great to stop and go, wait a second, because she created the first X-Men, all those hair looks on oh, Hugh wow. Jackman. And, yeah. you know, she did great work. She was brilliant. I had her on a number of projects with me. But, you know, we all get funny and older. And, and so then we reminisced about a few other people recently. And it was really, you know, makeup, hair. I had great people that took great chances on me. Shauna Jabor. Stéphane Dupuis on my first prosthetics gig 30-something years ago. I like to say their names and remember, you know, those people. Ivan Lynch, wonderful hairstyle, wonderful. We did Anna Green Gables together. You know, my first job really as an HOD on a television thing was due to him because he was 
more experienced. And they asked him back in the day where we were really a team, mm-hmm. um, makeup and hair were a team. And it was very, I mean, it's just the way it was. And it's changed a lot as well. So he got really helped get me my first HOD job. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I love that when you're saying about the team of the hair and makeup, because coming from New Zealand, Australia, I mean, we do both. So to me, it was very, it's very normal that the whole thing works Mm -hmm. together. And I found that probably to be one of the more difficult things to adjust to when I moved to Los Angeles was Mm -hmm. that, you know, just being told that I needed to stay in my lane (laughs) and that I was Mm -hmm. a hair person. And, and I, I mean, it's not because I was butting in, but someone had just said to me, look, I know you come from both places so just Mm -hmm. do yourself a favor Mm -hmm. and um just keep with the hair people when I would go to set and they'd be even I don't know it was just so bizarre so separated and I couldn't and then I find it very difficult when the two are in different trailers as well I mean I know that trailers aren't made big enough sometimes to fit everybody in but I love it when hair and makeup are in the same trailer and you can work together and yeah it just oh well I mean, the thing is, I I feel like I I think it's a great thing. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, having worked in places where people do both, worked Mm. in places where people oversee both. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've overseen both. Uh, I'm not a hairdresser. I I admit it. But more recently, um, I have started to run both departments for a number of reasons, particularly overseas. I also have a strong British background. I work there. I work there a lot. So I see both sides to it. And I think that, you know, I agree on a certain level. Of course, I'm a huge Aussie film fan. And you know, so I knew in you know, Noriko and, you know, I, I know a lot of the people there and I've seen the films. There are people who do genuinely do both hair and makeup. We all know some of them. And there are people who kind of say they do, but they don't really. And then mm-hmm. there's people who are designers, which is how I think I'm able to. I never gave myself enough credit because I've worked with such great hairdressers that I could oversee the look of a film. I, yeah. I didn't have the faith in myself to do it. And I also didn't want to disrespect a hairstylist. Right. But I do, I agree with you on a certain level because I think the hair and makeup should be in the same trailer. And sometimes, well, now with you know certain situations, I'm with you. I mean, that's how I started. But I have to say, when I started, we also worked much smaller crews. Mm. I was going to ask you, what project were you on when you finally figured out what it means to be a head of department, when you felt 100% confident about Mm. how it all works and what your role is? Because, I mean, there's certainly no how-to handbook, is there? No, I mean, I think when you start to become the person that, you know, and the producers call you and there's lots of issues. And I I think when you become the person that everybody comes to, so whether it's a problem or it's complimentary or the director, I, I would say I've been around such a long time. I think I worked on a number of projects that I was highly, you know, uh, respected and I felt very cherished by the people I was around. Then I went off and became a personal for a while, which I didn't find fulfilling. I I think that's when I knew, to be honest, because I've been a personal for wonderful people. I mean, uh, I loved, I did Mark Wahlberg. I loved working with him. I loved working with different people, but it's not really what I wanted to do. And it Mm -hmm. seems dishonest, you know, 
It's like you, you know, you want to do something with a wig or more elaborate. You just don't want to do a man's short back and sides. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, what am I doing? So once I got back to work on a film, I think, trying to think when it happened, but I'd already been in the business. I'd, I'd come back and I think maybe 10 years in, I think mm -hmm. it takes 10 years. Yeah. Um, I really believe 10 years. Yeah. So I started in 1984. Um, I would say by the early 90s, and then certainly by 95, 96, you know, people were asking for me, directors and actors. I, I thought I was a good department head because I seemed to be able to get very good people to work with me. Mm -hmm. I think my personality, maybe, I don't know, sometimes I doubt myself because I tend, I can be very nice, but I can also get angry. And I think the anger is something that as a department head, I think you're entitled to, but you have to be very careful with it. Yeah. Because it can hurt you for many other reasons and not at all what you think. Yeah. So it's interesting. Some people have always been department heads. Some people start at the top. Mm. You know, I talk to young people about this because we've all had experiences where somebody will say, I mean, look, even coming to LA, I had to get a green card. I, you know, that was hard. I had to win an Emmy. I mean, it wasn't an easy road. So I feel like I was a hard worker. And I think that it's a business that not everyone has to work quite the same way. And some people worked very hard. Some people kind of sailed through. That's life, right? Yeah. I know people in medicine. I know people in teaching. I had a friend recently say, who's a great doctor who helps me with a lot of, um, if I'm researching a project like Stronger, where we had a lot of amputations and things. And he said, oh, Donald, you know what? It's every, you know, they're just as competitive. Of course they are. Wow. Look how it is in a shop, in a, in a, in a hairdressing place mm -hmm. where it's high volume, you know, like a Vidal Sassoon. Mm -hmm. in makeup. I mean, even at the counters, it's about who sells the most, isn't it? I think that the competitive thing for me was that I had a, I guess I've always had a kind of confidence that maybe drew people to come to me with, mm -hmm. uh, that's maybe when I knew I was a department head. Yeah. And I think when people are coming to you and asking you the questions, they're knowing that you have those answers. So you've obviously yeah. had the experience worked out. Okay. It, well, I think it works like this. I think I've got this sorted out. And then that's when others start coming to you to go, Donald, how does this work? <laughs> well, you're <laughs> you right. Go, because, got it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's great because something came up recently because we're all talking about sort of the, the situations that are going on in the world. And, and it's, you know, there's a lot of things politically, economically, socially that have been happening around us. And mm -hmm. it's also knowing, for instance, when you need to sort of, is your team diverse enough? Do you have this? Do you, you know, you, that's part of an HOD. And sometimes people will come in and make a decision that affects the whole department. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you kind of go, do you realize the repercussions? That's a department head's thought process. And if you don't have that training, then you become a problem. And producers identify pretty quickly mm -hmm. if they know there's no leadership or, you know, the actors pick up on it very quickly. Yeah, I think there's a real shortage of mentorship. Also being able to listen to somebody's point of view and say, look, why are we doing this? Yeah. And, and is there a better way to work it? So, yeah. That's very cool. Now, touching back on something you said earlier about how you feel very confident with your bruises and cuts and scratches and things like that, because you're working more on kind of 
you know, films that have a bit of action and people getting injured and fighting and all those exciting things. Now, that's something I'm assuming you need to be working quickly and efficiently at. And I'm sure the more you do it, the easier that comes. But also keeping on top of the continuity of that. Mm-hmm. How important do you feel like that is? Well, I mean, I think it's hugely important, obviously, because we're making films and editorially and and structurally and the narrative. Yes, very, very, very important. I do think that people get carried away with it, though. Mm-hmm. You know, films are films. Every film has its own style and genre and director who, you know, either we're paying attention or we're not. There's makeups mm-hmm. and hair that... There are issues with continuity. Sometimes it's beyond your control. We never really talk about that either because there's a bigger picture. And and part of that, it's complicated because, as you know, you've got one aspect of it is editorially. So the editor who most makeup don't even realize or talk to, hair almost never, unless there's something really glaringly wrong. But I do talk to the editor because I think it's important. And some films, the editor will make a choice with the director to take something out. Mm. But it certainly can hurt us, as you know, because they may take a cut, I mean, a literal cut, and then you have the actor with a cut on their face Mm. and choose a take where it matched beautifully and intercut with a take that doesn't match. And, And of course, people think the makeup screwed up. And of course, they didn't. But Mm. that's something that people have to talk about and educate each other. I know makeup artists that never even think about it. My process, I'm pretty good with continuity. I've got a good memory. I write everything down. Mm. I think makeup and hair are insane with their photographs. I'm so sorry to say. (laughs) I think it's people don't actually understand sometimes. Mm. People who are listening to this are going to be going, not Donald Mowat. Who does he think he is? Well, (laughs) No, I Sometimes, think that there's, there's overboard with the photo. You don't need a photo of every single scene that the actor is in. You exactly. just need that establishing shot for what you're matching back to every time. If That's it, right. If there's That's a big right. change, take the That's photo. Right. Yeah, I and agree people, completely. <laughs> people get, I don't know where that comes from. And maybe if it's something where you feel nervous or anxious, that's okay too. You know, but when we used to just take Polaroids, like boom, easy peasy, you write on it. Mm. Everyone is, and that's, everybody's entitled to their own way of working. People think, mm. you know, but I do think it's a little bit odd because sometimes I found the people who do all that photo taking, all that note taking, all that computer stuff, actually have trouble matching. Yeah. And I've managed to do films where I'm actually really proud of myself at the end of the movie. I've kind of made it work. There's one or two things that are really, uh, the trickiest thing is the length of people's stubble, Mm. um, sweat, dirt, blood. Yes. And you can't always win. And sometimes it's beyond your control. People forget digital. Okay. So what digital has done is we don't stop to reload. Now, when, when I learned you reloaded, you had time. Now there's a continuous take. So the sweat's dried up. What are you going to do? It's Mm. never going to match. Mm. I have little tricks I've, I've learned over the years. Make things look believable. The audience don't need to sit there going, now, how did he get that on the back of his head? Yeah. (laughs) Make it all organic, make it complimentary to the, to the shot. So it's not all about your continuity. And that's where I think I've learned to do something a lot of people have trouble adapting to. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to sell the shot. I mean, for instance, you can match something, but if the lighting has changed, that makeup or hair will look, particularly the makeup, will look incorrect anyway. So Mm -hmm. 
uh, people have to buck up too and be told, no, 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 no. Just because you learned to do that doesn't mean it was right. Yeah. You have to learn to make those adjustments. And- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But continuity, I mean, everyone says for makeup and hair is about the most, and it is crucial, but sometimes we miss the important things. And, you know, I'll notice things like the lipsticks disappeared, then it's reapplied. People have cried in one scene. I mean, that's technically, I mean, you have to be quite masterful to understand how to retrace your makeups. And I'm pretty good at it, I think. Occasionally I screw it up, but I also know that, you know, that's, you know, we don't get a second take, do we? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Now, you've worked on such a variety of films, like smaller indie projects like Nightcrawler, Stronger, Nocturnal Animals, mm-hmm. and then larger scale films like James Bond, Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. What do you find the differences are? I would say, you know, it's interesting. I I love smaller films. I mean, mm-hmm. people hate it when I say that because I know we need the big films and, and I'm, I feel privileged to have, you know, been asked and you know, picked by the director to do things like Blade Runner. But at the same time, I think on a smaller film, oh, I'll get hammered for this. I think sometimes the quality of the work is better. I I know, I agree. I I think it's it's just a smaller, everything's downsized, isn't it? So it's a smaller environment. There's Mm -hmm. less craziness going on around you. You can kind of focus a little more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, also that you don't have that that thing where there's too many people, there's too many people that you don't have the luxury. So let's say Nightcrawler, which I really did with one uh, a small, one makeup, uh, an additional for big days, mm-hmm. um, just to help out with some of the blood and stuff. I mean, hair, I had, I brought, we had one. So that's the other thing. People assume, like, you know, why is it this assumption that just because, you know, if hair needs three people, they need three people. Makeup might need four. It doesn't have to be even. It's no. it's different. Yeah. So on that film, for instance, it was two and two, I believe. But it was obviously a, I mean, a more makeup kind of movie, wasn't it? So mm-hmm. I really fought to get additional help. Um, I think that the hair was very straightforward. I think we didn't have, to be honest, I don't think we even did. Cam- we did one camera test. Mm-hmm. In fact, did we? No, we didn't. We did photographs. Okay. I kind of loved it because it was a great character. I love the character. I, I love the film. We worked very hard. You know what I like about a thing like that is you don't have too many people you're having to discuss it with. Yeah. So like, you know, and the films I like, the films I tend to really enjoy are smaller films. Watching or working on? Well, I like both because yeah. I generally like films that I would like to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Nightcrawler, I mean, every time I see it's on television, I just think it's a remarkable uh, piece of filmmaking. And there's a lot of technical things that were tricky, but very manageable with a very small crew. Yeah. And a creative freedom. And something like Blade Runner, there was because I have a particular relationship with the director. Mm -hmm. There are people I've worked with before, the producers. I've worked with, you know, many of the actors again. But that still felt relatively indie to me, even though it was a huge film. Yeah. But then going on something like Spider-Man or a Bond, there's so many people. I mean, it's great because it creates work for people and it's wonderful training. But I kind of like that smaller thing. Maybe it's just the machine. I think the bigger films, you tend to do more paperwork. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You almost need a secretary just in the makeup and hair department. Yeah. So what we're having now is more and more makeup artists and hairstylists are having to do all this clerical work mm. and not really doing what we do. 
I know. And that is disappointing. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're heading a department, it's you need to, of course, be creative and understand how to do the hands-on work. You need to be That's a people right. person. That's you need right. to be able to manage people. <laughs> And then there's paperwork on top of it. (laughs) Well, that's it. And the business hasn't changed enough. I'm really hoping and I keep pushing this and I hope we can do it. We need to adopt a couple of things like maybe not so much trainees, but assistants, people who don't necessarily do makeup or hair, but Mm -hmm. we need a coordinator. We need, to be honest, makeup artists and hairstylists, it's not really our strong suit. Um, Mm. You know, someone to do the books because everyone wants it digitally done and Netflix. I mean, my God, you spend more time now printing a piece of paper and how to fill it out and time. And as you know, everything's going completely digital and paperless. Mm -hmm. Who's doing all of that? Are you going to do that at the end of your day? So I really hope our departments start to incorporate like other departments have construction, costume, we need people who are doing that job. That sounds, I agree. Yep. That sounds good. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> no. no, me too. I'm with you. <laughs> hey, now I was going to, I wanted to mention Velvet Buzzsaw because when I watched that, I was just thinking how much fun that would have been to work on. <laughs> you know, it was, I mean, it's funny. A lot of people make fun of it and, you know, I loved it because I've never worked on anything that kind of high camp. I had just come off something else that was very serious, uh, First Man, which is very serious and, mm-hmm. and and heavy drama, which in a remarkable film to be on. But yeah, beautiful. When Velvet Buzzsaw, what I loved about it was it was kind of funny. And so to me, it was a bit like Valley of the Dolls. It was something, and you know, it's very interesting. So Jake has very much based his character on me. And oh, wow. he's wearing my glasses. He's dressed yeah. like I would dress, a white shirt and Navy jacket. And He's wearing my Tom Ford glasses. And at first I thought, oh, I'm a bit insulted because the character's so, but he went, but it's so you. And I went, he's actually right. Because a <laughs> lot of the character is very me. So I'm deeply kind of flattered, even though there's elements of the character are pretty horrible, but it's a good take on the art world. And I think it could reflect also the film world. Mm-hmm. And I love Dan Gilroy because Nightcrawler was such an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. And Dan is my favorite writer in Hollywood. There's no question. And Jake is just, I love him. I love him because he is by far one of the most committed actors I've ever met oh, to awesome. what he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a sort of, you know, I, I guess he's a bit like could be my kid brother if I had one, because I can also tell him that I think something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And we have a very transparent, open kind of working relationship and he's one of the few actors i really for no other reason but we're friends i mean we're friends outside of work and and we call each other and talk and see each other outside and that doesn't happen very often and yeah um, so i really love working with him and and we try to make it happen it doesn't always work out and Mm -hmm. um i like his projects very much very, yeah, very I think he um, he does choose some fabulous, uh, yeah, fabulous shows and films. It's awesome. Now, I was curious about Nocturnal Animals uh, working with Tom Ford and just that being his second feature. Is that something that you could kind of feel yeah. that that's not his whole background of mm-hmm. his industry? Do you know what I mean? Coming from fashion and moving right. into film. How was that for you? It was interesting. I mean, I was a bit terrified to tell you the truth because mm. I didn't initially feel I was the right 
candidate. I wasn't sure. I thought about it a lot. Hmm. And I'd been in London working. I was still on bond. And I was thinking about it because when they rang me, and I know that I was, you know, recommended by a couple of people to Tom, I was surprised because I'm, you know, it, it just... It was out of left field, and then Jake was attached to it. I'd worked with Amy Adams before. Barbara Broccoli had very kindly recommended me to Tom Ford. They're very good friends. And I went to meet him. And to be honest, when I met him in London, I think I was so kind of, I'm so not right for, I don't do that kind of makeup. I'm not right for him. He's not going to like me. They should be getting someone else. And actually, it was the complete opposite. And Wow. I went to meet him and I felt like that television show, Ugly Betty, you know, mm. <laughs> where you go to the big fashion and there I was. And I went, you know, with those big doors with the TF as the handles. Oh, wow. Like going to the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And there was Tom who couldn't have been lovelier and very nice checking me out, looking me up and down. You feel like, oh, my God, talk about judgment. Um <laughs> And we had a wonderful conversation, and he showed me a kind of a pictorial on his little Apple laptop of what he thought the the film was, the vision of it from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. Um, He asked me to recommend hairdressers, which I was stuck. I mean, because I always, you know, I have one or two people I think are amazing, and they're never available, and I'm looking for somebody. And um, it was really difficult. So... Mm-hmm. I, I was nervous because I thought, now, if there's a film about hair and perfection, that's the mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to be very careful how I tread on that one. And then uh, the makeup, and I, I got a real sense of a 70s vibe, particularly yeah. with his look, as you know, as you can tell. Yeah. His look, the suits, the collars, the open shirt. And, of course, that would kind of become the look on Amy. So it made me a bit nervous because it's not, again, a makeup that I would tend to have done her a very different way. But, of course, I realized very quickly that that wasn't supposed to be a gorgeous-looking makeup, right? Mm-hmm. There was a hardness to it and that yeah. straight, straight hair and the color and all those girls have the same color hair. Mm. But what I loved about Tom was, one, he really takes control. He is in charge of that hair and makeup, but you know, he really let me do a lot of my own thing and, and he checks on everything. He comes in the trailer and not everyone is going to like that. And not all hairstylists and makeup artists are going to enjoy that because it's not what they like or do. And I don't mind. No, I think. And so he came in and he's got great ideas and sometimes he's wrong and you think, well, but I don't know about that. It was a wonderful experience and it was a hard film, but I really, I'm really glad I worked on it. I'm very, uh, really enjoyed the experience. It sounds like it was a true collaboration, which is everything, every extra, every actor, he wants to go through the hair, the makeup, the nails, the clothes, it really was collaborative, but also very much he is in charge and, and mm-hmm. that's the way it's going to be. And that's okay. You know, I think so too, for, because you were saying that you went in kind of nervous and unsure, but if you mm-hmm. have somebody that is leading like that, it's going to ease those feelings, isn't it? Cause it's like, Oh, this guy knows what he wants. That's okay. right. That's right. I could do that. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes he'll, he won't be sure, but I mean, certainly I had that, I wish she'd been in the movie more. This one character I did with lifts and pulled her face and, 
and I gave her three sets of lifts and overdrawn. Now it was all makeup. I mean, we we talked about doing an appliance, and mm. but of course he gave me all of the options. Try this, and and I went into his office and he said, "What do you think?" And I said, "I think we should do it this way," and uh, he was great. He was absolutely uh, uh, kind of a revelation. It's fantastic. Is there a any word on him doing any more films? I keep hearing it. I mean, I certainly hope I'm asked back. I don't know. I mean, every, you know, that's the other thing. Not just because you did one thing doesn't mean the other happens. And, and you know, he's, uh, Single Man was a very different film than, than, yeah. than that. So each film, I just think Nocturnal was, it's really deep. It's a deep film. And I hope he does something. I really do. I hope he makes another film and that I get to work on it. Yeah. That's cool. Hey, I just wanted to ask you, when you're researching for a film, whether it's a real life situation or a period film, what are your favorite sources for research? Where do you tend to look? Well, First Man was difficult because, of course, there's so much research. There's mm. so much out there. But I have to say, there was a film particularly. Now, what was it? It was bizarrely a Hitchcock film, if I'm not mistaken. I went over to the academy uh, right over here on La Cienega to the library. Hmm. And it's a wonderful library. And I just went. And so Marnie, and I can't remember the actress's name offhand, Barbara Perkins, that's it. There was something, I happened to be flipping through telly one night and I saw Barbara Perkins in Marnie. And mm -hmm. there was something about the makeup I particularly liked and the hair because it was period, but it wasn't. It wasn't the period we see people do or that we often jump to conclusions thinking of. And with First Man, the difficulty was the period, particularly for the women, because even though it was 1969, you still had to treat this as very conservative America. Mm -hmm. These were academic people, university degrees, including the women, liberal, but not that liberal. And coming from that part of parts of the U.S. where you know, Janet, his wife, was still quite conservative, but forward thinking. And she was academic. They met at university. Yeah. So she's not going to be in the latest clothes and fashion or the makeup or the hair even. So mm -hmm. it, there's a recreating that period to me is often not appropriate because we get the feeling of go-go girls and, and astronauts' wives. Mm -hmm. And that's not what this was. And I'm really thankful to Damien Chazelle because he really let us do that. And it's not always flattering. Let's be you know, true. But I found I was getting clips of different things. Because now, of course, with Google, everybody turns up at the same meetings with the same pictures. Yeah. And I find it really boring. And, and you know, I'm a voracious reader. And I mean, I do go to libraries and museums. And, and I think other people should. So I'll pick up little things that I think are interesting. Yeah. And so the reference to Barbara Perkins and I think are good because you can also relay them to the actors and they go, oh, that's interesting. And books and periodicals and newspapers. So, and then with Ryan, I mean, what was so interesting is because I wasn't actually going to do the film, to be honest. Um, something had happened and I had taken some time off. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking, do I want to do this? And Ryan and I had a whole conversation. I thought, you know, it's a perfect part for him. Yeah. And Claire Foy is one of my favorite actresses uh, on the planet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew she would do it right. So, you know, and, and Jason Clark. So mm -hmm. there you go. It was one of those things that I was nervous about. There was a lot of subtleties. And, you know, even with Ryan, there's a lot of little subtle makeup things in it that, 
if you take the time to see, you can see it, that were nuanced and, and really based on the time frames and fatigue. And so, I, and then all those guys, and some of them didn't look like the astronauts. And then you're faced with this dilemma of like one guy looks nothing like one of the astronauts, but somebody kind of does. Mm. And it was a very difficult project because I felt like some people thought we were going to make them look like them. And, and again, I don't do films like that. It's not, it's not my thing. There are people yeah. who do it brilliantly, but does anybody really know what Neil Armstrong's wife looked like? I don't. Nobody does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know Churchill and you know Elizabeth the first and you know Elizabeth the mm-hmm. second. Mm-hmm. And so I also came at it from a different perspective because what I love about it is I felt we got it right was when we did I think our first day of shooting in the house, that little house they were in, the cottage, yeah. reminded me of being a kid, being three or four years old around the time that happened. And I totally believed it. And and that's what made the film so special for me. Oh, that's so cool. I love yeah. those moments. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so incredible, the experiences, just the things we get to experience and see working in the industry that we do. It's, it's, a, it's a rare it's privilege. I mean, I'm happy mm-hmm. you say it because we forget it sometimes and people mm-hmm. forget. And that's when you take a moment to say, wow, that was incredible. I got to experience sort of, I mean, we recreated the moon in Georgia. I mean. how about that um it's pretty cool (laughs) yeah but i think the research i mean there's people who i mean i can list off but there's people who do remarkable research i'm not that i love documentation i love having references but that kind of documentation people like kate bisco do i i mean i'm just it's astonishing it's just astonishing yeah the kind of work they do you know movies like vice because they really did recreate and but those people are known people, right? And so, uh, and then there are other films where I think they lost the plot because sometimes you don't have to do it with makeup and hair. You know, remember David Bowie did Elephant Man on Broadway mm-hmm. without makeup. Yeah, and nobody, well, no one disbelieved him, did they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. It's just knowing when it's when to do it, I suppose. Well, this is it. Sometimes I have a moment. I just worked on something recently with Jared Leto. That we did give him a nose, and at first I thought, oh, God, this is going to be stupid with a capital S. Mm. And I thought, well, wait a second. No, actually, and the more I thought about it, it wasn't, and it was really good. And I think it it made it, to be honest with you, because everything else was just going to be hysterically wrong. And mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, let's do the contact lenses, which he didn't ask for. And I'd been through that with him, so... Yeah. Um, I thought, well, let's do it. And Jared was like, you know, I trust you. And, and so I did that. And then the teeth and um, it was, it was great. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. I think it's nice when you've gone through those stages of, Oh, I'm not sure about this to, Oh, it's okay. And then you kind of lean into it and you're like, yes, right. this is working. That's right. It's very cool. Yeah. So you were saying earlier that you've been a personal for a few different Mm -hmm. people over the years right can you describe what it means to you to be a personal makeup artist for an actor like what do you think is important to remember in that position well the most important thing is that you represent that person you've in Mm -hmm. fact taken a role you know of great uh consequence actually and I, i i love doing it you know people often ask me why i don't do it so much or did something uh there's a lot of reasons behind it but Certainly, when you're with the right person, and I mean somebody that you feel 
it's necessary. There's certain times being a personal feels unnecessary. There's always the argument. Some people feel that it can compromise the film or it can compromise the look of the film. And that, as we all know, does happen sometimes. And not all the time. I've always, I'm very proud of coming into some films as a personal that you retain the integrity. But it is very hard sometimes for the designer if somebody comes in with their own people, hair, makeup, whatever, and kind of change the look a little bit or it's not in keeping with the look. Mm. And there's that. And I hear that sometimes. And that's that's legitimate. And then there's other times where people will say, well, why do they need a personal? I went, well, look at it this way. I mean, on James Bond, Daniel absolutely has to have someone because he's in every scene of the film. Yeah. And he's the central character. He's number one. He cannot be waiting in the trailer to have somebody look at him mm. or give him sunscreen or a Band-Aid or whatever because mm. there's four other people there. Yeah. And I think that people forget there's also it comes with a certain, of course, status and, and stardom and all that other stuff. But it's not just that. It's the practicality. You know them. They don't have to take all that time. It's very difficult for, for some actors to come in brand new, new person. So I, I think it's a very it's a very important job. The downside of it is some people develop an attitude about it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope I never did. If anybody listening ever says, oh, that Donald Mullet. <laughs> I never felt that I was that person. I've certainly worked with people that their behavior is different and their behavior is very peculiar when they're personals. And I don't like that thing of uh, one thing I discovered was on a film once many, many, many years ago in Los Angeles. I think I had just come to LA. So it's 20 odd years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember going into the trailer and setting up and it was an awful, smoky, horrible trailer. And the Teamster came in. I've always remembered this. And he wasn't particularly nice hmm. to me. And I always, hello, how do you do? I have a real thing about that. I'm very polite. I always say hello to people. I always introduce myself to everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's no one listening who will ever say that I don't do that. Mm-hmm. And I say hello to everybody on the set, even people who are asses and who are rude. I just say hello. And this teamster, I was so shocked at how he behaved. Hmm. And then when he realized that I was there with the star of the film, his attitude changed. And that is the one thing. I I don't hate anybody or anything in this world, but I do hate that about the business. And it's made me want to, it's made me not want to be in the business occasionally because that star, I can't say the word, begins with an F. I find it so appalling and soul-destroying, yeah. that it's actually sent me quite ill sometimes, mm. um, and that we're all guilty of it. And every single person listening, if you're in the hair and makeup world, you are a victim of it, and you're part of it, and I'm part of it. And I really try to break from it, and it's mm-hmm. my... It really bothered me when that person suddenly was like, oh, hi, and next thing was all the star treatment, you know? Mm. And... I'm acutely aware of it when I've done lots of personals, Daniel Craig, Ryan Gosling, over my career, Mark Wahlberg. I really, you know, even going into a restaurant, it's different. And then you're perceived that way. And then the other actors act differently with you. And sometimes people assume you're there. And that's why I tend to not want to do a personal Mm -hmm. unless I feel like Jake, if Jake's doing something that... I think it's the appropriate thing. I would go in and be a personal or for Ryan, I would, 
I mean, I do a lot of his publicity and things, so fine. But you lose the camaraderie of the trailer, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I had a different experience. Yeah. I'd love to hear other people's opinions, yeah, but, you know. I can understand that. You also become a barrier, don't you? You become a, a wall. Sometimes the actor didn't want that wall. And I noticed that a lot, particularly in the world of costume, makeup, and hair. They build a kind of... Uh, a sort of, I guess it's in a sense a de facto kind. Does, does that sound right? Um, between you and the actor. Um, right. So I think if you want to be a personal, great. You have to be asked. And and then there's people who aspire to it and they do all the wrong things to get to be in that position and they don't understand why they're not. And I do like to say this to everybody because there's maybe someone listening and, and that you say to people, but you know, there's uh, integrity and mm. your integrity has to mean a lot. And if you want to be a personal, that's great. But you can't pretend, you know, that if you're, if you like to be with a movie star and that's important to you, be, you have to be honest about it. Mm. You know, I happen to like working with actors, whether they're fame or not famous is irrelevant. I want to be mm. part of a project. Yeah. Um, part of that character development and have that, yeah, just that journey with somebody. Absolutely. And you know what's really difficult about working with a famous person? And it's really awkward because sometimes uh, being the personal is also that you can't get a break. You can't take a day off. You can't leave early. Um, You know, people forget that. And that's a whole other thing. And I mean, I've had wonderful collaborations. I mean, Mark and I made 18, 18, 19 movies together. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did a bunch with Daniel Craig. Uh, I've done a couple with Ryan now, Jake. I've been asked back by many people. I'm really, pr- I'm honored and flattered, Emily Blunt, you know, all kinds of people, but yeah, it just doesn't cool. always work out. And yeah. there are people who I like to work with and other people, you know, some people love, they just want to work with the same actor. It's not a bad, it's not a bad gig. Who am I kidding? It's a very high class <laughs> problem. Hmm. But you really want to have that situation that you go where they go and maybe their next film is not something interesting. And people have asked, like Mark, I mean, he's like my little brother. I love him. I've known him. God, I mean, he's 49. So he's seven years younger than me. I knew him when he was in his 20s. Yeah. I was at his 30th birthday party in Paris. But (laughs) the films he went on to make were not films I necessarily wanted to be part of. um, Mm because I wasn't being challenged creatively. So that's the thing, isn't it? I've met people who, you know, without saying names, but actors who basically got their hair cut once a week and a wonderfully talented hairstylist is not available to do a brilliant film with lots of interesting work because they've committed to that. Yeah. I know it's tricky. Um, You know, can we be truthful? It's a bit soul destroying, isn't it? I think for some individuals it can be. But I guess it's the uh, the path that you choose. I guess you just have to be smart about it, don't you? <laughs> well, and it's what you want. And ultimately, yeah. it's what you want. At the same time, there's loads of people come in and do background. I, I'm envious of them because sometimes people come in, they get to do fun work, they do it. They're in the right place with the right people and the money's good. And mm. they come in and they go home and they're not involved in any of the drama. Yeah. And then they go on to something else the next day and create something completely different. That's right. And they have- <laughs> And they could just move around wherever they're needed, right? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I love how there's different areas of the industry like that. Like within our line of work, you can, you know, put your put your fingers in all sorts of pies, really. Well, it's important. And those people are brilliant because then you get to people who come on jobs who've been, you know, people, you know, who 
we're working on such and such a film so that when they come to you, they're so fresh because they've just been doing body painting or they've just been mm. doing bald caps or, mm. you know, and that's really great because they're the people who we really have to thank and who make the films look so good. Absolutely. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about your involvement in the Mentor Project. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. What's all that about? You know, it's interesting because I don't know Debbie well. Obviously, we know each other and reputation, and, and she's pretty fantastic. I've met her, I don't know, half a dozen times here in L.A. Okay. A lot of people know that I'm very involved with a couple of projects, but particularly with BAFTA in London and in L.A. So mm-hmm. I'm part of an outreach education program at Washington Prep High School. I'm involved with the BAFTA BFI, British Film Institute program in London, well, all through the U.K. So we have, I don't know, I think this year, every year we have 22, I believe. So hair, makeup, prosthetics, people who are entry level, etc. And so I think Debbie, when she was putting her initiative together, it's a wonderful program. I instantly thought, well, you know, it's something I'm familiar with. I work with a lot of young people. So it came up and I congratulated her and she said, you know, I'm, I'd like to ask you. And I said, of course, I'm in. So I think it's a wonderful program. I would like to do one similarly in the UK and in Canada, mm-hmm. you know, in many places. But I think what's great about Debbie is uh, she does great work. She's very organized in the community. She's had huge success recently with, you know, her, um, that wonderful uh, Fosse. Oh, Fosse. Yes. So, you know, she's had some great uh, successes. She's been around. Uh, I think it's incredible what she's done because we need to mentor people. And and certainly whether you're in Los Angeles or in London or in Mexico City, there's a shortage. We need new people. I mean, mm-hmm. and I think as we all get older, you start to see what's, what are we doing wrong? Where are the new people? What she did was really clever. She created a sort of event. It started off with 10 makeup artists. So there are people from all over the world have applied. She put this out. She started with 10 mentors. Now it's 20. Awesome. Um, you were sent seven letters and resumes, and each of us were asked to choose, which was very difficult to choose three. Yeah. And then Debbie came back and gave you, so it was out of your uh, your hands, gave you the person you would mentor. Okay. Uh, so it's wonderful. I would love to do more in LA because I really think we need a place that we can start getting people ready for earlier union membership. People... Yeah. Um, I think we need people, as you know, we need people really like coming out of high school is what I think. Mm. Um, ready to do the, you know, trailer protocol, barbering, makeup, hair, wigs, and be trained somehow and that we can oversee it. Yeah. I would love to see that. So Debbie's done a, she's done a remarkable thing. I think it's really going to take off. She's got some wonderful people and um, I looked at the list and I, I was kind of staggering and people who do all kinds of different things. You've got, you know, prosthetics masters like Richard Redlifson. You've got people who do fashion, makeup, all kinds of things. So it's, it's very exciting. When I saw it, I was just like, yes, this is amazing. Um, now I would like to know what projects you've worked on recently. What can we look forward to seeing? Well, I mean, the sort of the most exciting, uh, I guess, maybe life-changing thing for me is Dune, which I, I worked on for most of last year. Let's just stop and just say that that is incredibly, amazingly awesome. It's very cool. It's, you know, it's quite, it's quite something, you know, it was quite something. So it was seven months for me, I guess. I started prep in January of 2019 mm-hmm. and I started, went to Hungary in February to August, basically. It yeah. was huge. It was, um, 
kind of terrifying in its own way, but in a different, I don't know, different. I mean, it's quite huge. At one point, I had 30 makeup hair prosthetics people. Wow. By the end of it, I had a, you know, core team. I, I just, yeah, it's kind of amazing. What an incredible cast. I, I loved it. I really loved it. It had, you know, it was a lot of, of work, a lot of concept, a lot of not dissimilar to Blade Runner, just on a maybe a bigger scale. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But it was, yeah, I'm really, yeah, I'm excited. I feel like it's, you only get to do one or two of those in a career. So yeah. um, I'm very excited about it. That's amazing. And then I worked on a small thing when I came back. It was just nice to be in LA on a job called Little Things. And mm-hmm. it was with Jared Leto and Rami Malek and Denzel Washington. Rami, I've worked with Rami. He is the sweetest, sweetest Isn't man. He? Yeah. Yeah. So we did a job here and that was right in LA. So we, I was basically from, I don't know, uh, I got back in August. I started in September and we were done by, by Thanksgiving. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Perfect. Job before Christmas. Yeah. It was really good. And I liked, you know, I love working with Jared Leto. I, I, I really enjoy him. We've, I think he does great projects and interesting characters and Rami. So I, I feel like it was, it was good. And right here in LA for a period of time. That's nice. I like those little get in, do it, get out. And it was fun and exactly. sweet. Yeah. That's yeah. always, that's always awesome. Hey, now this is a, this is a big question because it's hard to narrow these things down, but what is one tool or product that you would not want to work without? Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> Well, I'm going to say probably a can of either Evian or La Roche-Posay spray water. Okay. Because I like skin that looks alive. Mm-hmm. Probably that. Maybe my Elizabeth Arden eight-hour cream. Okay. So those are staples. You've got to have those in your bag. I, I have to. I just like makeup that look like that. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, now, who is the one person that you'd like to hear on the podcast? Oh, my gosh. Well, there's so many. Let me I know there's so many. <laughs> Well, I, I've really, it's true, become, it's true. you know, there's people like uh, Jan Sewell, who I really admire. Yeah. I think she does excellent work. I mean, I think in the world of the UK, I mean, her work is exquisite and thoughtful. She's a very hard worker. Yeah. Very hard worker. Jan Sewell, who else would I like? I'd love to have heard some of the, oh, I hate to say old timers, people who don't work so much anymore. I'd love yeah. to hear, you know, people like Wally Schneiderman and, and people like that who, uh, I'd love to hear from, I guess he lives in Australia now, Peter Frampton, remarkable makeup, Peter Rob King, who's, I believe he's retired. Okay. Those are all people I aspired to. And yeah, yeah. Wonderful people. I mean, really, and those real makeup men, you know, back in the classic yeah. sense of it, Peter Frampton, Peter Rob King, many have passed. Jan Sewell, obviously. Oh, do you know who gives, I just, uh, it's interesting listening, like Nicoletta Scarlatta. Ken Diaz. I yeah, mean, I've, re- I've Diaz. reached out to Ken. You have? <laughs> yeah, Ken. he's interested. So we'll, we'll get him he? in here. Yeah. Well, you tell, I think so much of Ken. Um, yeah. I think he's remarkable. I really look up to him. I've known him a long time. You know, he's, yeah, he's a great mentor to people. He's very talented. He's a very nice man. Yeah. I'm trying so, to think. There's a few other you. people out there. Um, oh, I think it's a good list you put together. <laughs> Okay. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, Kay Giorgio. Yes, I've reached out to Kay. You have? Okay, because mm-hmm. to me, she's the best hairdresser in the business. Yeah, she's amazing. Thank you, Donald. What a pleasure speaking with you. My pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much. For links to 
see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Stops Podcast or our website, thelaststopspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.